Maxwini, and this is Reboot Review, episode number 18. Reboot Review is a podcast dedicated to indexing the adventures of DC Comics' Legion of Superheroes. Now, that team, that property, has had such a long, storied, and sometimes dense history. Uh, I've chosen just to focus specifically on the second version of the team, the Reboot Legion, that starred in various titles for a shockingly precise decade. We're talking uh, 1994 through 2004. It's this version of the team that I've said I think comes closest to reaching the greatest potential, comes close to embodying the essence of legionness, a uh, large, diverse group of young people with great courage and natural abilities assembled to unite and inspire a galaxy a thousand years from now, whenever now is. Now, for much of this time, I've chosen to focus on the tales of the Legion wove through two monthly titles, Legion of Superheroes and Legionnaires. So on most episodes of Reboot Review, I'll be recapping an issue of each, and along the way, providing a little commentary, occasionally some context for these comics in the larger history of the Legion. So this time out, I'll be going through Legion of Superheroes number 75, and Legionnaires, number 32, both cover dated December 1995. These issues happen to be tie-ins to DC's 1995 company-wide crossover, Underworld Unleashed. Underworld Unleashed falls uh, smack dab in the middle of a trilogy of annual crossovers that I think, I think are pretty good. 1993's Bloodlines was kind of a clunker, but uh, that was followed up by Zero Hour in 1994, which is by no means perfect, but had many of the elements of a good DC crisis. A credible threat affecting all space and time, a huge army of superheroes from uh, all the way from the big guns to the lesser lights to the brand new, uh, and a great art team to kind of make it all look pretty. In this case, it was Dan Jurgens and Jerry Ordway. 1996 saw the DC Universe deal with Earth's final light. And uh, that was a real winner, as far as I'm concerned. The, the threat can't be much more dire than the extinguishing of the sun. And that was brought to us by Carl Kiesel and the art team of Stuart Immonen and Jose Marzan Jr. That was a beautiful book. 1997 saw another clunker, Genesis, but uh, sandwiched in between Zero Hour and Final Light was Underworld Unleashed. The story was told in a three-issue monthly core miniseries written by Mark Wade and illustrated by Howard Porter and Dan Green. Porter, not yet a mature artist, but uh, there were definitely flashes of what his style would, would develop into, definitely. And just very quickly, the basic plot is that this, this hulking Fabio-esque brute named Neron, uh, supposedly a lord of hell, but maybe an alien, he issues an invitation to all the villains in the DCU via a candle there to light. He offers the villains who accept a bump in their powers in exchange for, yes, their souls, uh, but also Neron wants them to wreak a little havoc, cause a little chaos in the superhero community. See, Neron covets souls, but there's one he wants more than any other. We're led to believe it's Superman, but it's not. It's another hero who is perhaps considered even more pure of heart, 
And uh, if you don't know who that is, I won't spoil it. It's actually not that hard to figure out, uh, but it does provide a little mystery in a dramatic moment when it's finally revealed. Anyway, to lure his prize to the underworld, Neron charges these villains, all the villains, to uh, raise a little hell. A side effect of this hell raising is that we get to see some interesting matchups in the tie-in issues. Heroes and hero teams facing unusual and uncommon enemies. Starman, the Golden Age Starman, Ted Knight, takes on old Batman foe Dr. Phosphorus. Star Sapphire faces Extreme Justice. Gorilla Grodd shows up in Catwoman, and the old Atom villain Kronos travels a thousand years into the future to take on the Legion of Superheroes. And this is definitely an interesting battle. Kronos was always a just a guy who committed crimes using time-based gadgets. I first ran across Kronos as a kid in my now dog-eared copy of The Greatest Team-Up Stories Ever Told, which reprints the very first JLA-JSA team-up. There, Kronos and his cohorts in the crime champions get pounded on by about a dozen superheroes, but what stood out to me then was, of course, his costume. <laughs> Garish, clashing, and absolutely wonderful with his white mask, green shirt, yellow cape, that big-ass collar, and you know it, the crowning piece of this trend-setting ensemble, the uh, white and black vertically striped pants. I don't know what Gil Kane was on back in the 60s, but uh, that old Kronos outfit is unrivaled in its ugliness slash greatness. Green Lantern Alan Scott's outfit comes, a, comes close, but uh, I still give Kronos the slight edge. Anyway, Kronos uh, gets not only a new, streamlined, modern outfit as part of Underworld Unleashed and his deal with Neron. Uh, his new outfit, very nice looking, a lot of black, big hourglass emblem on the chest, uh, but also in exchange for his soul, and uh, apparently an arm. Kronos gets uh, from Neron the ability to actually move through time. Uh, but of course, there's a catch. What is it? What is this catch? Well, let's find out. Legion of Superheroes, number 75, a story called Two-Timer, by writer Tom Pyre, plotter-slash-colorist Tom McCraw, the art team of Lee Motor and Ron Boyd. It's lettered by Pat Brousseau and edited by Mike McAvinney and Casey Carlson. The cover by Alan Davis and Mark Farmer shows the large, looming face of Kronos above some smoking elderly folks, including a senior citizen XS being cradled in the arms of a, a young blonde girl wearing a hockey jersey. Story opens up with Legionnaire XS floating alone through a rainbow-colored void that we've come to recognize as the time stream. She was somehow separated from her teammates when they made their way back to the 20th century to consult Superboy on how to release the hero Valor from the stasis zone. She's holding back panic, she thinks, by focusing on her proudest moment, an encouraging word from team leader Cosmic Boy, when she suddenly sees this transparent bubble 
moving through the time stream with her. This isn't a time sphere used by older versions of the Legion or by Rip Hunter and the Time Masters. This is an oddly shaped bubble, uh, kind of like a water globule in, in zero gravity. Inside, the villain Kronos with his snazzy new garb and his companion, the young girl from the cover wearing an oversized Blue Devils hockey jersey. They spot Excess and are shocked to see someone floating in the time stream unprotected. Kronos brings Excess inside the bubble, asking himself if this new acquaintance can save him. Kronos introduces himself and his companion as his friend, Lori Morning, though there's a bit of a language barrier as Excess speaks Interlac, the common language in uh, the 30th century United Planets. Kronos correctly deduces Excess must be from the future and uh, says they've got to get her back to the lab. And with a pop, they find themselves in Kronos' lab in California in the year 1995. Excess seems to just go along with Kronos taking some readings with his equipment, and he somehow confirms that Jenny hails from the 30th century, and that she found herself in the time stream through technological means. This seems encouraging to Kronos, who seems to want to end what he calls his curse. Just then, they're interrupted by Ronald, apparently a longtime lackey to Kronos, who's horrified at the sight of his daughter, Lori, saying Kronos has mutilated her. Which is a strange thing to say, as Lori looks like a normal, healthy, I don't know, eight, nine-year-old girl. Uh, but the oversized jersey seems to be a clue, and, and it's funny, we get a look at the back of the jersey, and the player name across the shoulders is Sprouse. No doubt referring to Chris Sprouse, former Legionnaire's artist. Kronos dismisses the two girls, Lori and Excess, and confronts the angry Ronald. Kronos tells him that... Uh, Ronald should know better than to challenge his power. He explains here a little bit about Neron and how the demon took Cronus' soul in exchange for the power to destroy his enemy, the Atom. It's this flashback panel here that we get a glimpse of Cronus' old costume. As he's found, he says, outside of time by Neron with his right arm shredded. Not sure if this is something that happened somewhere in story or, or not. He explains he gained the ability to move through time, and at first this power seemed limitless, but the drawback is, and here Kronos removes his mask, to Ronald's horror, <laughs> that the power, every time it's used, ages him. Kronos now appears to be maybe 80-plus years old. And uh, Lee Motor and Ron Boyd have done a good job kind of giving us clues to this along the way. Cronus's mask had some extraordinary large eye holes, kind of kind of the size and shape of Spider-Man's cut out from his mask. And uh, Motor does a good job with the details of wrinkles and crow's feet, hinting at Cronus's uh, agedness. This now explains why he'd be so interested in Excess's technological method of time travel. Seems like a habit traveling through time that Kronos doesn't want to doesn't want to give up, but he doesn't want to use his power either to do it. He goes on to explain that he's found a way to now transfer the aging effect to others, who he says can better spare the spare the years, like Lori. 
Kronos catches Ronald about to attack while his back is turned. Uh, and we see Kronos reach out. This is followed by a panel filled only with a large lettered scream. Elsewhere in Kronos's swank pad, XS gives Lori a little sample of her super speed power. And through a small hole in the wall, the girls realize that there are some people trapped back behind the wall. XS quickly makes that small hole into a big hole by pounding on the wall. And the girls are shocked to find a group of old men chained to a bolt in the floor. Thing is, Lori thinks she recognizes them as kids from school. Uh, Kronos. Next we get a uh, small glimpse of Brainiac 5, Legionnaire Brainiac 5 in the time stream. He had pledged to find and rescue Excess. He's been following the trail of Excess's speed force uh, with some instrument. But he finds that the trail suddenly ends. In the 30th century at the Time Institute, probably in Metropolis, we meet time expert Rond Vidar, who has remotely detected a time disturbance at Legion headquarters. As a courtesy to former colleague Brainiac 5, he decides to report this issue to Cosmic Boy via future Skype. As time travel or messing with the time stream in any way is apparently, and suddenly, <laughs> strictly taboo, Cosmic Boy denies that anything is going on then quickly ends the call to find out what's going on. <laughs> An alarm throughout headquarters sends a group of legionnaires running, so we've got Cosmic Boy, Saturn Girl, Shrinking Violet, uh, Leviathan, Triad, Chameleon, and Invisible Kid. They reach the source of the alarm and find Kronos, I guess in Brainiac's lab, standing before a kneeling Lori Morning, who now resembles not a young girl, but uh, more a young woman. This trip to the 30th century, thanks to Cronus's age transference, has cost this poor girl more years of her childhood. Now what follows is an interesting, uh, if hard to follow, six-page narrative experiment, where shown as the pages are divided top and bottom. Simultaneously, what's happening here at Legion HQ in the 30th century and back in Kronos's lab in the 20th century. Kronos appears in all the panels and his dialogue is the same in each top and bottom section. So it's as if he's in two places at once. In the 30th century, he's standing before a, a kneeling, aged Lori Morning. And below that, in the 20th century, he's before a super-aged Ronald. Laurie's dad, as XS enters his lab to confront him for his aging of the school children. Well, Kronos pulls the same trick on her, instantly turning her into a senior citizen. He tells her he's after her time machine, as he's simultaneously a thousand years later, telling the rest of the Legion he's after their time machine. The Legion moves in to attack, as does an elderly excess a thousand years previous and Lori the slightly older Lori tells Vi to get the glove for that's where his aging power is young Lori is telling excess the same thing uh, boy is this sequence difficult to describe <laughs> and so a thousand years apart 
Excess in the 20th century and Invisible Kid in the 30th simultaneously seize and damage this glove and Chronos screams, you stupid fool, that glove, that glove harnesses the time energy I stole. If it's unleashed without controls, then boom. All of a sudden, Legion HQ begins to crumble from old age, as does Chronos' home in the 20th century. There, some debris falls, knocking Chronos out cold. Lori manages to point out the glove to Excess, who disassembles it and reassembles it at super speed uses it to return the schoolboys to their proper age and then de-ages herself just before the gauntlet disintegrates. This gets her a big hug from Lori, but just as Kronos from some future time blips in, seizes Lori, whom he calls his little fountain of youth, and steals her to the 30th century to get his hands on a time machine, setting up the action we just witnessed, at least the 30th century part. Ugh, time loops. So, where are we? <laughs> Excess is still stuck in the 20th century, though she overhears a cop during the cleanup referred to her in her super speed, and he mentions the name Wally West. This catches her attention, and we're told to follow Excess's adventures into the pages of Impulse, so she's hanging out with the Flash family for a while. Incidentally, during the, this cleanup, some rescue workers are loading what looks like a body bag into an ambulance. This may be Ronald, <laughs> Lori's father. So where's my scorecard? Uh, Lori's now in the 30th century, at least 10 years older. Thank you, Kronos. Uh, and Kronos himself is there too. Uh, Legion HQ is crumbling, and uh, the story continues in Legionnaires number 32. So Legionnaires number 32, a story called Here and Now, has the exact same creative team as Legion of Superheroes 75, uh, apart from the art team, in this case, Jeffrey Moy and W.C. Karani. The uh, Moy-Karani team, usually they do the cover for this title, uh, but this issue sports an Alan Davis-Mark Farmer illustration, and it's almost like a, a double cover with the LSH issue. They don't combine to form a larger image like you'll sometimes see, but uh, they're like mirror images of one another with an almost identical composition. A large Kronos head looms over a group of Legionnaires on the Legionnaires issue, digging out of their crumbled headquarters. On the LSH cover, a young Lori Morning props up an elderly XS. On the Legionnaires cover, an older Lori helps pull Saturn Girl from the wreckage. It's an interesting pair of covers that kind of highlight that strange sequence from the LSH issue with a this simultaneous narrative, parallel events happening a thousand years apart. The Kronos heads, too. Uh, a detail I forgot to mention earlier is that Kronos's mask in his new costume is kind of like a it's a clock face. It's a mostly black mask with the hours marked off by red lines. Now on the LSH cover, there's a, a white wedge on the mask marking time as if to say it were one o'clock, as if one hour had passed. On the Legionnaire's cover, Cronus's mask is almost completely white with a black wedge showing the time as 11 o'clock, I guess, or more accurately, that uh, there's one unit of time left. It's a kind of countdown. 
in LSH 75, the Kronos that we first meet, the one that picked up excess in the time stream and confronted his rebellious lackey Ronald, he had the black mask with the small white wedge. And the Kronos who shows up at the end of the issue to whisk glory away to the 30th century had the white mask with the small black wedge, meaning that he'd come from at least some point in the future. Is this making any sense? I'll be putting up some images from these issues on, on my blog, imthegun.blogspot.com. It, uh, it'll make more sense to see what I'm talking about, I'm sure. <laughs> All right, so Legionnaires 32 opens with the lonely Valor in his uh, Legion HQ quarters, still contemplating his place in the material world once again, just as the building comes down around his ears thanks to the release of Cronus's time energy. He flies through the wreckage and finds his way to the greatest concentration of legionnaire body parts poking through the rubble and uh, begins digging the super teens out. Miraculously, everyone's accounted for. Everyone, that is, except for Kronos, whose empty, withered costume they find. Laurie's made it through, too, all of a sudden really filling out that Blue Devil's hockey jersey. Fortunately, Valor had uh, picked up enough English during his time on Earth back in the 20th century to be able to communicate with Laurie. It suddenly dawns on Invisible Kid that the destruction of this part of the headquarters has included the time platform, you know, effectively stranding Brainiac 5 in the time stream. Lyle digs around for a couple of ends of cable, joins them together, and they get a momentary glimpse of Brainiac 5, which then disappears. Cosmic Boy orders Lyle not to try anything else until they can get an expert involved. Meanwhile, a crowd gathers outside Legion HQ, as does the media, and one reporter out there is listing a mounting list of negatives that seem to be surrounding the team. There's this latest explosion, but also the recent deaths of three team members. Well, two, really. Kid Quantum most definitely died, murdered by the giant bug, Tangleweb. Apparition recently appeared to have died fighting the White Triangle, uh, but Andromeda was only reported to have died. <laughs> She's being held on the prison world planet Hell for her actions in support of the White Triangle terrorist group. Uh, but also the reported failure of the team to rescue Valor from the Stasis Zone. And this had to be kept quiet due to the religious hysteria that was assumed would ensue. Uh, so it really seems like the Legion's being set up for a real public relations nightmare. So Cosmic Boy, Saturn Girl, along with Lori, and they've brought Kronos's uh, remains for good measure inside a little canister. Uh, they drop in on time expert Ron Vidar at the Time Institute. He greets them outside, but quickly shuffles them in when Cosmic Boy begins to speak of their time-related troubles. You know, time travel and mucking about with the time stream has uh, has really just become a touchy subject. I don't recall anything being mentioned previous to this uh, as to why even the mention of it is taboo. But unfortunately for the Legion, and specifically for Brainiac 5, this little exchange is obviously overheard by a grim-looking science police officer. 
Now, just a few little notes about Rand Vidar. He's a Legion supporting character that goes way back to the mid-60s. He's always been an expert on time-related matters. Uh, but he was also something more in days past. A certain uh, familial relationship with a certain Legion villain. That doesn't exist here in the reboot. We have yet to meet Universo, uh, but when we do, in some respects, he's a very different character. Ron Vedar, he's, he's basically the same, uh, although I feel that he's been stripped of some uh, very interesting character baggage in this, in this iteration. Uh, so in Ron's lab, and with the help of some telepathic earplugs, Lori relates her story uh, in bits and pieces in between coming on to Rond, comparing him to Johnny Depp, though Rond has no idea who she's talking about. She also mentions the, that she met XS in passing, <laughs> which catches Cosmic Boy's attention. Meanwhile, word uh, gets to United Planets President Chu that the Legion's messing around with time, and uh, she orders the science police to shut down whatever they're working on. In this case, it's Invisible Kid, ignoring Cosmic Boy's order to leave things alone. Lyle's just kind of doing his own thing. Uh, he's trying to work on the time platform to make contact with Brainiac 5. He actually manages to get another image of Brainy, who uh, tries communicating, although his speech is reversed, like uh, Zatara E's. The science police shows up couple of officers, and uh, they pull the plug. Simultaneously, here we go again, uh, in Ron's lab, Ron has done some tinkering on a version of Brainiac's time machine, and he's actually getting a stable image of Brainiac, who's still stuck in the time stream, but at least can now communicate. The SPs show up there as well, however, and they just come in shooting, which is strange. They're shooting at Brainiac 5, who's stuck in this time field. <laughs> Ray blasts and temporal energy scattering all over the room. Some of them strike this canister holding Kronos' remains, and POW! The villain materializes in full costume. He's got the black mask with a new countdown on his face. He's a little disoriented, but he recognizes Lori, and even recognizes Cosmic Boy from the brief altercation in LSH-75. Kronos grabs hold of Lori, his ticket out of there, but uh, Lori yells that Kronos' costume may be able to help Brainy. Thanks to Saturn Girl, a quick telepathic plan is concocted, and Lori gives Kronos the old stomp on the foot and Kaz magnetically throws Kronos into Brainiac's little time stasis field, which causes them, Brainiac and Kronos, to merge <laughs> into Kroniac 5. Kronos's outfit, it was assumed, at least by Brainy, had some defense against time placement, so with some effort, Brainiac uses one of their arms to touch a control on the outfit, which he just instinctively knew was there, and zot! Kronos goes bye-bye to who knows where, and uh, 
Brainy founds himself in the room, unstuck in real time. There's no real time for a celebration, however, as those SP officers now have, uh, they have just the Kaluan they're looking for. They immediately place Brainiac under arrest for unauthorized time travel. Brainy pleads to Cosmic Boy to intervene, but the SPs, saying they're on direct orders from the president, convince the Legion leader to let them take Brainy away. <laughs> oh, and that last panel. <laughs> the look that Saturn Girl gives Kaz. Oof, it looks good kill. There's been a few little altercations over the last couple of issues where it seems like Imra's confidence in Cosmic Boy is it's fading. So uh, apparently Kaz is still content to be the president's toady. Uh, I like how Tom Pyre and Tom McCraw, they handled this underworld tie-in. Uh, they got their odd villain matchup. Kronos was a good good choice, I think. I'm not one to usually say that time travel stories make my head hurt, but uh, this one was, I think, purposely a little narratively disjointed. Uh, but it was effective. And this was all done uh, not at the expense of forwarding the ongoing plots and subplots. It really seems like this legion under the thumb of the UP is it's building towards something. And uh, in the first issue discussed, the LSH issue was uh, almost an excess solo story, which is nice, as she was truly, truly one of the standout new characters in this era of the legion. I really miss excess and wonder how long we'll have to wait to see this character again. With her ties to the Flash legend, you think she's bound to turn up sooner or later in a comic or TV show, maybe? Uh, along with the covers that I mentioned earlier, I'll be putting up some of my favorite pages and images from these issues up on my blog, imthegun.blogspot.com. There are some links there to my contact info if you're interested in commenting on the Legion, either from this time or in general, uh, or Underworld Unleashed. I'd love to hear what anyone has to say about that particular crossover event. Uh, my tweet promoting last episode of Reboot Review got liked and retweeted by Bring Back LSH and by uh, Martin Gray. Martin's retweet and comment sparked a, an epic, an epic at least for me, conversation on Twitter with uh, five or six backs and forths between uh, Martin uh, Diabolu Frank, Carl Disley, and myself about the Legion. Thank you guys, I really enjoyed and appreciated that. Conversations like that really make my day. This particular one definitely helped pass the time at work that day. Oops, did I just say that out loud? Uh, all that's left to say, I think, at this point is thank you for listening, and LOL, live on, Legion. That you want to be free, but you... I said you were baby.